Last week we started out by uh, talking and <coughs> about how we plan for our vacations and our, and our traveling. And uh, just as a show of hands, how many of you enjoy traveling? You like to go around and go to different places within the world you know, or in the United States? Absolutely, I do too. I've been fortunate to travel to a lot of different places and even to some different countries. And it's no matter where you travel, God's design for raising his kids is the same. God's design for raising his kids has, has always been the family, no matter where you go. And I've had the opportunity to uh, travel to various different cultures and, and see how these different cultures raise their kids. I believe they have some pictures up here. Uh, the first one is a uh, picture of a home in Guatemala. There we go. <coughs> in Guatemala, where the, uh, the village where our group stayed, extended families would live in a, in a pretty small home. It's not unlike ours, um, but it's just smaller. But uh, one thing that these homes don't have that we tend to enjoy here in the United States is an air conditioner. And it's a lot hotter in Guatemala than it is here. And because of that, all the windows are open. The doors are open most of the time, <coughs> which means that the dogs and the cats and the livestock just come and go through the family home as they see fit. And so when our group got to go there, during a Sunday morning church service, a giant pig walked into the sanctuary. Now, that sounds like a good start to a joke, but it wasn't. And a pig actually did walk through the church. And all of us North Americans kind of freaked out. The Guatemalans didn't even notice it happened. So uh, the next home is a Haitian home, a home in Haiti. These homes were literally built on the mountainside. Your neighbors aren't as much beside you as they are above you and below you in the places that we went in Haiti. Their kitchen is different than ours. The kitchen is on the outside of the home. It's in another separate uh, building. So the home doesn't get covered with soot. The next home is a Maasai home. Uh, the Maasai are a tribe of people that live out in the plains in Africa. Uh, they live in temporary homes that aren't designed to last forever. Uh, and they are made out of mud and dung. And uh, their beds are literally this uh, stretched piece of leather that is put over a big pile of sticks for a cushion. Uh, it wasn't very comfortable. <coughs> and excuse me, all the family homes in the Maasai village are built in this big circle. And then around on the outside of that circle, there's a whole bunch of bushes and thorny plants and things like that. And that would protect the entire village from predators. Now the livestock would come and they put the livestock in the middle at, at night, in the middle of the village to protect them. But the youngest of the animals would actually come inside of your home and sleep with you for extra protection. So no matter where you were, there are different customs and there are different cultures. And some of the customs would seem very strange to us. And some of our customs seem very strange to them. For example, the Maasai 
will feed their babies a mixture of cow's milk and cow's blood. It was very strange when we're in the village to see a little bitty baby drinking from a baby bottle with a pink liquid inside and knowing what that child was was drinking. Now, (coughs) excuse me, if you told them, however, that we eat cheese, which if you think about it, is just a bacteria-laden, coagulated milk, they think we are insane. Why in the world would you drink or eat rotten milk? So we have another custom in the United States that would seem completely strange to others, but uh, uh, we seem to tolerate it. Um, I guarantee you that this custom does not exist in the hills of Haiti or on the plains of Africa. When we brought, bought our home, <coughs> we had to have a home inspection. So we had to pay somebody to come in and to see if our home uh, met all the code, see if our home was, was well enough to be sold. Someone had to come in um, and tell us, inspect our home, which would be a very silly thing to do for somebody that builds their home out of mud and, and dung to have a home inspection. But before we signed the papers, our home inspector came in and he did the complete walkthrough of our house, making sure things were up to code. And our current house got flagged because we didn't have proper drainage for a water softener. I didn't even know that was a thing until we had that home inspection. This is a very first world problem to have, but it stopped the process cold. The sellers couldn't sell the house. We couldn't buy the house until this was rectified. And so sometimes back and forth when that happens between the seller and the buyer, it can be a very uh, tedious process. And I've actually heard of fights and arguments that have broken out between the seller and the buyer of who's going to pay for what. Now, in our case, it was easily rectified. The seller just had to disconnect the water softener and take it outside of the house. The inspector came back in, saw there was no water softener in the house and said, check, you're good to go. We bought the house and we brought the water softener back inside. And if anybody from Tazewell County is watching, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. So I'm glad the process didn't cause any conflict between us and those sellers. Uh, Because we found out at closing that the people that were selling us their house were actually an incredible Christian family. Many of you know them. If you need to ask me who it was later, you can do that. But I'm glad we didn't have conflict with them for another reason. And it's a very selfish reason. It's because I hate conflict. Uh, But conflict is unavoidable. We all have conflict at some point, especially within our homes. We've been talking about our homes this entire week. And since we have established what happens under the roof of your house is more important than what happens anywhere else, we're going to spend some time learning about healthy conflict. So this sermon isn't about how to avoid conflict. This sermon is really about how to handle conflict. 
all families have conflict, right? Does your family have some conflict every now and then? Absolutely you do. The family of God has conflicts from time to time. We don't all see see things the same way. We don't all agree on everything. We all have opinions. We all have desires. We all have different points of view. And when you bring all of those into the body of Christ, the family of God, there's going to be some conflicts from time to time. And some of the same things that cause conflict in the family of God cause conflict under our roof, within our personal families. We all have a trigger point, don't we? We all have those things that get underneath our skin and cause conflict. So I want you to go ahead and write some of these down. These are just some normal things that families go through that cause conflict. Probably the the one thing that causes conflict more than anything else is money. Money. Who earns what and who spends it how, right? Probably causes more arguments and conflicts than anything else. The second one is attention. In a family, somebody is always getting more attention than somebody else. And if you have more than one kid, you know exactly what we're talking about, right? The perceived lack of attention causes that person uh, to feel less loved. And it's going to cause a conflict. The third one is having high expectations or too high of expectations. I bet you've experienced this in your home, right? We expect usually more out of our families than we would anybody else. Where somebody outside of our family would slide for that behavior, our kids are going to get the what for every single time, right? Often the expectation of our kids and our spouse is on a higher level than we have for anybody else. Next one there is communication. When it comes to the family, I, I believe we assume that we think, that, or we assume that others know exactly what we're thinking, right? But oftentimes we don't say it. Honestly, there's times when we treat our family with less respect and gratitude than we treat somebody else. And the biggest one, the biggest cause of conflict in families is the in-laws. Now, I think our, our family is pretty fortunate. I don't know too many mothers-in-laws and daughters-in-laws that could live in the same house as well as Carol and my mom. Uh, how many of you want your mother-in-law or your in-laws to move in with you? Show of hands. Yes, so I thought. You can see the in-laws, though, sometimes can cause a source of conflict. The point is, even the healthiest of families will experience conflict from, from time to time. So we have to ask this question. It's in your bulletin there. What separates the families that grow from conflict from the families that are consistently hindered by conflict? 
You can probably name some families that just seem to rebound after every single storm comes in their life. Maybe you've already said something to them and and said, hey, I don't get it. Nothing ever seems to bother you. How do you do it? And you can probably think of the opposite side of, of families that always seem to be surrounded by conflict and chaos, right? Someone in their family is always fighting. Someone is always complaining. Somebody... Uh, is never happy in that family. So how do we act when conflict arises? What do we do? I think uh, we tend to act in one of two different ways. Neither one of these are healthy when it comes to conflict. So if you're taking notes, this, this first one there is too many people think that the best resolution for the conflict is for them to insist they get their way which makes sense if we think about it, because if everyone agreed with you, there would be no conflict, right? Right. If everybody agreed with me, there'd never be conflict, right? I wouldn't have anything to worry about. But how healthy is that? Some of you probably have a boss that handles conflict that way. They're the my way or the highway boss, right? Anybody have that boss? Don't raise your hands, especially PFN staff. Do not raise your hands. (laughs) But you know, that isn't the attitude that we're supposed to have. If that's the attitude of your boss, that's not a boss. That's actually a tyrant. When I worked in the hospital, there were plenty, plenty of doctors that acted sometimes like tyrants. And I sort of get it because they literally had somebody's life in their hands. But the best doctors, the best physicians that I've ever worked with were the ones that recognized that there was a whole lot of collective wisdom in that patient's room besides theirs. The others in that room may not have had, (coughs) excuse me, may not have had MD after their name, Uh, But there were RNs, there were therapists in there, and some of them had the best ideas of how to take care of that patient. The other night, we had an incredible board meeting with your PFN board. And in that boardroom at PFN, there's not one other person with pastor before their name. But I have to recognize that that room was packed full of wisdom much greater than mine ever would be alone. The other way that we tend to control conflict is just to avoid it, to pretend it doesn't exist or to hope that it goes away. And you know that doesn't work either, right? Ignored conflict will rarely heal itself. Usually if we ignore conflict, it's going to fester if left without some sort of resolution. So as much as I hate conflict, I know that you can't have closeness without conflict. It's impossible. You can't have a healthy family without some sort of resolved conflict that you have already worked through. And the only reason we ever have conflict is because we don't understand each other. I see that today in the world uh, between countries that are at war. I see that in the world of politics. 
I see that in racial relations. I think within the, see it in, inside the church and I see it inside of our families. When we lack understanding of one another, it will always lead to conflict. And so it reminds me of why God led our church to our values that we have here, to be known, valued, and purposed. When we know each other, then we can value each other. And when we see each other with value, it's only then that we want to step in and help that person find their purpose in life. So conflict resolution really is just erasing an area of misunderstanding and taking away an area where we don't understand somebody else. And once we know each other better, then we can have a closer relationship because we know where that person is coming from, right? So circle this on your notes. It's written out there for you. The climate of your relationships will improve when the conflict in your life is resolved, not ignored. And I get it. That's hard to do. So let's look at what God has to say about it. (coughs) Proverbs chapter three, verses three and four. God says, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people. And you will earn a good reputation. I'm a pretty simple guy. So when God gives me a scripture that's pretty straightforward and a specific way to how to accomplish things, it makes me pretty happy. If I want to gain favor with God and people it tells me that I need to practice loyalty and kindness. Loyalty is wanting the best for somebody else. So what does this look like? What does loyalty and kindness look like? I found this list. I I tried to find the source for it. I think it was Andy Stanley. I'm not sure. Um, It was a quote from a quote from a quote. So I'm not sure who originally said this, but loyalty, you can... Uh, write these downs in your notes. Loyalty is not minimizing or ignoring my feelings to maintain harmony. The easiest thing that we could ever do is just to walk away from that conflict. I get it. It's what I like to do. I'd rather just ignore it and pretend that it wasn't ever there. But that's not being loyal to the other person. The next one, loyalty is being proactive in addressing concerns rather than waiting for others to initiate, being proactive. Loyalty is assuming the best out of other people's motives and choosing trust over suspicion. That's what loyalty is, right? Loyalty is trusting that person. To trust that person, I I have to assume the best in them, right? And not look at them with a suspicious eye all the time. Loyalty, the next one here, loyalty is engaging rather than withdrawing when others initiate conflict with me. That doesn't mean being ready to fight. It means that we're ready to listen. 
It means that we're ready to understand. It means that we're ready to hear what that person has to say. That's loyalty. And so kindness, what about kindness? You can write these down as well. (coughs) Kindness is prioritizing others' feelings over my own and listening first without jumping in with my own opinion. How many of you have ever had a conversation like this, especially during a conflict, where you listen to engage, not listen to understand? What I mean by that is, are you listening and trying to find a place in that conversation where you can just jump in at any moment and give your side of the story, right? Kindness, next one, kindness is validating others' emotions and showing empathy. Empathy is just showing you that you care, that you care about this person. You can't be kind if you don't care about them. Next one, kindness is considering my body language and my attitude when engaging tough conversations. Next time you have a difficult conversation with somebody, I want you to be aware of your body language. Just be aware of how you're talking to that person. Are you all tense and just look look like you've been sucking on a lemon for half an hour, right? I'll guarantee you that if you don't have that kind of body language, then that conversation is going to go better. Next one, kindness is taking time to process your thoughts and emotions before engaging in conflict. Ask yourself some questions in that conflict. What is my motive here? Is it to prove my point? Is it to make sure I'm right? Or is it to make sure that they're wrong? All three of those will shut down a conversation, right? Or are you looking at that conflict as an opportunity to learn? Are you looking at this as an opportunity to understand that person a little bit better? Are you looking at this conflict as an opportunity to know the person that you're talking to and maybe even to discover something about them? Our verse in Proverbs says that if we keep loyalty and kindness in the center, then then we will find favor with God and other people, right? Then we will earn a good reputation. See, all of us want favor in our relationships, especially with our family. Right now, there may be that family member that you seem like you're always at odds with. Perhaps as we close and we go through these attitude adjustments, we can see how we should be the ones to change instead of waiting for the person that we have conflict with to change. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It doesn't say wait for them to change so you can get along with them. It says as far as it depends on you, live at peace. 
I guarantee you that doesn't happen if we expect that the only change that needs to be made is the other person's responsibility. It doesn't happen that way. We can't control them. We can control ourselves. We can adjust our own attitudes. And next time we find ourselves in some sort of conflict, maybe we need to adjust ourselves instead of waiting for them to change. So let's look at these attitude adjustments for conflict resolution. (coughs) The first one is trust. Trust, just unconditional love. Love that's not based on any other emotions. Uh, Just love because you love them. Love because they are a person that God has created, right? Sometimes we have to love people no matter what. It's hard, right? Especially if that other person isn't trying as hard as you are. Trust is always believing the best intentions of that person. Let me say that again. Trust is always believing the best intentions of that person. Distrust is always thinking they have a hidden agenda. Deep down, almost all of us want harmony in our relationships but you may never get that person to change their ways. But changing your heart to realize that deep down, they don't want to be miserable either. If we realize that, maybe that could help us trust them. The second one is this truth. Truth is essential. Lies will always undermine trust. Ephesians 4.15 says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. That is truth with grace mixed in, all right? This is in your handout here. Truth without grace is just mean, right? Maybe you've been the recipient of somebody giving you truth and they probably followed up with, well, sometimes truth hurts, No, that's just mean, right? Grace, though, without truth is meaningless. They have to have a relationship with one another. If we can't reach the place where we can speak truth in love, then we're going to eventually resent the the people we do love. One of the most selfish things that I could ever do as a parent is to withhold truth from my kids. We live in a society now that is all about being liked. And sometimes we even change who we are or we will invent a fallacy about ourselves just so we could be liked by somebody else. It's rampant now in the lives of our kids. Sometimes the truth hurts, yes. But we cannot hold the truth in love for fear that we're not going to be liked. Number three, this is a biggie. Tone. Tone. How many here wish that the tone of your teenager would change? (laughs) Then change yours first. Tone is about how we share truth in love. 
tone is always going to dictate how that conversation is going to go. I know you've experienced that. <coughs> Think about your motive for the conflict. Your motive should always be to understand, to get to know that person. And the tone of connection, the tone of connection will always outdo a tone of correction. Listen, parents and grandparents, I, I know you want to communicate the truth to your kids. Teens, I know you want to communicate the truth to your parents. Wouldn't it be awful, though, if the truth was rejected, not because we shared it, but because we used a poor method to communicate it? So pay attention to our tone. The last one here is timing. Your timing in conflict matters. Ecclesiastes chapter three says that there is a time for everything under the season or under the sun. When our emotions are at that breaking point, it may not be the time to say, hey, there's something we need to talk about, right? I've learned something about myself. I need at least 12 hours to cool off before I move towards a conflict resolution. If I don't take that time, then I found out that I start speaking in place of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if any of you have ever said anything that as soon as it came out of your mouth, you think, I want that back. I'm sure we all have. Those 12 hours are not just a cool down period for me, it's also a time for me to pray. And guess what's happened in those 12 hours when I took the time to shut up and allow the Holy Spirit to work? The person apologized. Or the situation changed. Or God corrected my attitude about it. Many times the conflict was in my head. And if I didn't follow God's timing, I would have just made that situation a whole lot worse. See, God is going to direct your timing in conflict. And here's what I've come to realize. If God can create the heavens and the earth, if God can hang stars in the sky exactly where he wants them, then he can do a much better job dealing with a difficult person. Sometimes that difficult person is me. Sometimes that difficult person is you. There are times that he expects me to intervene, but there's also times when he just says, Brian, shut your mouth. Let me take care of this. So what do we do? I want to provide you with just a, a time to pray this morning. And in your notes, you might have been wondering why in the world there was a post-it note at the bottom of your notes. And maybe while I've been preaching today, God has continually reminded you of that person that you've been in conflict with. And, and I'm not uh, asking you to leave this sanctuary and say, hey, guess what? Guess who I have conflict? It's you. No. What I want you to do is to take that post-it note. And I, I want you to take some time and I want you to maybe write their first name. 
maybe just write their initials. If I see anybody's note that says PB, I know who you have conflict with. (laughs) But what I want you to do is I want you to take that name. And by putting their name down on that post-it note, and then while uh, Harold is playing, I'm going to ask you to be brave enough to bring that name to the front. You can just put it on the altar right here in front. But what you're doing is you're saying, you know what? I'm going to take time to pray. I don't want conflict with this person anymore, and I'm pretty sure they don't want it with me. And if God needs to change some things before we have this conversation, then God needs to change some things. But what if he needs to change you? What if he needs to change your heart? Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about this. But what I've also often told people when they come to me and they're in conflict with one another, my, one of my first questions is, when is the last time you have prayed for that person to be blessed. Oh, I don't want them to be blessed. (laughs) They're a thorn in my side. I don't want them to be blessed. Then how do we expect that situation to ever change if we don't want the best for them too? So go ahead and write that name, write that first name, those initials. I'm just going to stand off to the side. And I wonder if you would be obedient enough to the Holy Spirit just to come and put their name down. You can fold it in half. You can leave it blank. Maybe you and God knows exactly who that is. But I want to give you some time to obey the Holy Spirit this morning before we go on. Heavenly Father, we realize as hard as it is for us, that conflict is actually a part of healthy relationships. You have created all of us unique, each with our own desires, each with our own opinions and unique points of view. And Lord, when a bunch of humans get together with all of our own desires, conflict arises. 
Lord, we, we want things to happen a certain way. We expect others to act the way we want them to act. And when that conflict arises, it's really just a matter of misunderstanding. It's a failure of us to realize where they're coming from. And so Lord, your people have responded. They've laid some names down here on these altars this morning. And some Lord, I think probably held on to those notes in their hand. So Lord, we're gonna ask that you would change the hearts of those who put these notes down and even the hearts of those who held on to it. Lord, allow us to pray a prayer a blessing upon the person we're in conflict with. Allow us, Lord, to truly be able to say, we want the best for them. It's not as important that they see eye to eye with me. It's not as important that they agree with me. What's important is that they know you, that they love you, and they recognize that you are a good God. And so Lord, may your blessing fall upon all of the names that are represented with these little post-it notes this morning. May you truly bless them, Lord, beyond our imagination, beyond our own blessing. And Lord, allow us to want that for them. Allow us the attitude that we want them to be blessed, but we want them to connect with you. We know, Lord, that all of our earthly conflicts and the times that we don't see eye to eye could be taken care of, Lord, if both sides would see you as the most important part of the relationship. And so God, may your blessing truly, truly land on all of these people. May they know it is you that has blessed them. And in time, may they know it was us that prayed for them. Lord, I pray for all of the conflicts that we humans have and the people that we are in conflict with. And Lord, I pray for a beautiful resolution. I pray for that understanding of one another where we can truly see where the other person is coming from. Lord, may you bless the conflicts. And out of that, would you leave an even healthier relationship? We thank you, Lord, again, for all the things you have done in the life of our church, the kids that are being saved, those that have been baptized, Lord the work of our people serving our community, our ladies on Thursday night praising the Lord in, in, uh, in the park, and are having our community around us. You are busy at work. And we thank you for the opportunity to be part of your church and your kingdom.
And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us said together, amen. Thank you guys. I love you. Have a wonderful, incredible remainder of your weekend.